to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Duke Rivard. Today we have a great episode with Chuck Geschwin on leading yourself to ongoing spiritual renewal. Uh, while Chuck is trained as a lawyer, he's been a church planner and pastor. He's currently the spiritual director of the Soma Board. He's uh, working on a certificate at Gordon Conwell in spiritual direction, and he's just led me uh, to the Lord in so many different ways uh, through spiritual direction exercises. So I'm excited for you to learn from his experience. Chuck's been on a multi-year journey of learning from Richard Loveless and his seminal work, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. If you don't know Loveless, Tim Keller says that Loveless taught him everything he knows. Obviously, that's not entirely true, but he does uh, just really attribute a ton of formation from Loveless's influence. You'll want to want to know more. Uh, if you haven't read Dynamics, uh, Chuck will give you uh, cliff notes. He'll give you an overview. And and through that, talk about five different aspects of, of spiritual renewal. First, he talks about the vision for it, some preconditions or barriers. He'll talk about currency, which is really his way of saying the kind of environments that you'll need. He'll talk about fuel or the drive for ongoing renewal, and then some practices that really make space for God in this process. And so this conversation has huge implications for your own walk. I think it has implications for your ministry, really to every person in your church. And so without any further ado, let's jump in and talk about leading ourselves to ongoing spiritual renewal. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. This is Duke Rivard, Executive Director of the Soma Family of Churches and Saturate. And joining me today is Chuck Geschwin. Chuck is a lot of things to me. He's a really good friend. He's been a mentor. I would say he's been a spiritual director of sorts. He's a member of the Soma board. He's helped with Saturate in different capacities over the years. And I'm just really excited to have him join us again on the Saturate Podcast to talk about leading yourself to ongoing personal spiritual renewal. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Chuck. Thanks, Duke. Great to be here. Yeah, so Chuck, you've planted a church. You're a lawyer by trade. You're currently pursuing a certificate in spiritual direction from Gordon Conwell. How do you how do you keep it all together these days? You got three kids. You got a beautiful wife, Lindy. Uh, how, how do you keep it all together? Well, I'm trying to slow down the best I can and uh, say no a lot more than ever before to do the things I'm really passionate about. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so for the audience, I you know recently was a, was was taking a group of pastors out to Colorado for a renewal retreat, and really the focus was just their own spiritual health and growth and just connection with one another, and so. I reached out and called Chuck and just said, "Hey, here's the here's the group. Here's where we're going. What should I do?" And Chuck, you gave me like just the most amazing spiritual direction kind of assignments and things to do with the group. And of course, they gave me credit for it. And I was like, "No, no, no there's this lawyer in Arkansas who this was all his <laughs> stuff. This was his idea, uh, and it was really, really profound." And so I'm just, brother, I'm encouraged by this kind of. I don't know if it's a coming into a new vocation. I know you've served in lots of other capacities in, in the world and in the church, but it just feels like God's leading you into a new season. Maybe tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like, you know, just how, did, how have you moved to this discovery that this is a passion for you and that God's given you some, you know, some um, skill and, and uh, clarity about how to help others connect spiritually with the Lord. Sure. It mostly comes out of my own personal anxiety that I wake up with every morning and I pick up my Bible and I, I see gospel promises that are so much uh, more life-giving, life-promising than what I was experiencing. So that's part of, of how I got to where I am today. Uh, and the Lord's met me in that more uh, chronologically. I mean, I was not born again until I was 29. I was a lawyer in Little Rock, Arkansas, end up going into ministry on a pastoral staff in Mobile, Alabama, uh, then moved back home, uh, man, yeah, almost 20 years ago to Jonesboro, Arkansas, and planted a church uh, on a great team, uh, and then did that for about a decade, and then through all that, became part of Acts 29 and Soma, began really developing a passion for young leaders, pastors, and church planters uh, in particular, 
through that, got involved with coaching uh, cohorts through Saturate, just helping them understand uh, the gospel and how the gospel leads to mission. And really, through my own uh, lack of of enjoying the presence of God and meeting with all those, I think I led maybe seven different Saturate cohorts of leaders, all men who I just respect and admire. But through that, they all seemed to be bogged down where I was, that there was just this lack of a clear understanding of our spirituality. Mm. And we wanted to be on mission. We wanted to, uh, you know, be joy-filled, spirit-sent missionaries. And, and yet often we were underdeveloped. And so that just sent me on a, a deep dive uh, through a lot of different avenues. One of the primary influences, uh, in addition to the people in my life and the scriptures, is reading Richard Lovelace's classic work on renewal um, just over and over again. And through that, just on a whim, grab some guys, see if they want to go through it. And that ended up leading some cohorts through uh, year-long processes through that. And then more recently, just honed down a piece of that year-long cohort into a six-week adventure just on on personal spiritual renewal. So that's kind of my journey. Uh, the most important part of the journey for me is that's the journey that I'm personally on every morning as I, as I wake up, uh, just seeking to enjoy the love of the Father every morning. Yeah, that's awesome, Chuck. And I know last time you were on the podcast, you talked more about corporate revival and what does it look like for revival to come to America, come to churches and that kind of thing. Today, really want to focus in on the personal side of spiritual renewal and even this journey that you're taking leaders on for their own personal renewal, this idea that things need to happen to us before they can happen through us. And so maybe give me an overview. I know you have these renewal cohorts that you're leading. And uh, yeah, you just mentioned that the six weeks and what you do, but maybe walk us through what what's the overview of what you do with these guys that are that are hungry for uh, spiritual renewal? Sure, I'll just go through it real quick, Duke, and I trust you'll let us dig in where you have interest. But uh, just the topics of the six weeks, the first in the first chapter, uh, first meeting is just a vision for our ongoing personal renewal. Uh, the vision verse is 2 Corinthians 4.16, where Paul, uh, writing about his desperate, desperate personal circumstances he finds himself in, says this. He says, but we do not lose heart, though wasting away outwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And so that's really our, our vision is just how do we experience what Paul experienced in renewal day by day? And then this, the second session just is on preconditions or the obstacles uh, that I take from Loveless, uh, things that uh, we need to become aware of before we can really engage on this journey. And the third session is on the currency uh, that is needed for this renewal journey. And and the currency is simply our neediness, our, our awareness of our neediness, our humanness. And uh, two, two kind of funny things, although it's not funny, ha-ha, is that maybe it's encouraging and discouraging all at the same time, is that the currency is neediness, and therefore the thing that we have the most of in our life is our neediness, and therefore we have everything we need to experience personal ongoing renewal. But secondly, the problem is, the problem is the thing we hate about ourselves the most is that we're needy. We like being in control and feeling powerful, and in, in essence, we're playing God. But So that's the currency. The fourth uh, step of the journey is really the fuel of personal renewal, which is, is just to engage uh, and experience the heart and love of the Father each morning, day by day. And then fifth, we talk about the journey uh, from gospel fluency to gospel astonishment as being a, an, a journey from just awareness to agreement to approach. How do, how do we approach the presence of God so that we can experience gospel astonishment? And Six and finally, we we end with practices, and I, I love helping guys set up new practices so that they can engage uh, the Holy Spirit and engage and enjoy the presence of God uh, to create their own unique plans for what they need in this season to experience personal renewal. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's let's dive right into that. So, I love that you started with having a vision that people typically. Um, you know, require somewhat of a telos. They require a target, some kind of, you know, endpoint that they would like to to arrive at. And you're saying that you really believe that that we need from the Apostle Paul's example an, a vision for ongoing daily renewal. You find that 
that guys coming in that that's new for them or are they jaded or are they are they hopeful to be reminded again or what what's been the experience you've seen as as you've made that vision clear for them as a part of what they're driving towards as they pursue this ongoing renewal yeah, typically uh, the same thing I discovered about myself. I discovered about these other leaders that were, for the most part, way too busy. Uh, we don't know how to slow down and pay attention. And and then somehow we've lost sight of or never had the awareness of that this is just a rich gospel promise. Uh, and we can't just say, well, Paul experienced daily personal renewal, but we cannot because we are just as justified as Paul. We are just uh, we have the same access to the Holy Spirit as Paul does, and the Father through Jesus doesn't love Paul any more. He, he, you know, he loves us, and so just to help guys say, there's more. There's life uh, that can be lived in the presence of Jesus that you're currently not living, or as many others these days, and rightfully so. It's just guys have just stopped learning how to be with Jesus. I mean, I heard it first from John Mark Comer and. A lot of us have heard that, but that's really what we're talking about. Because if we learn how to be with Jesus, we will experience the renewal that we're talking about. Yeah, that's that's really huge. Yeah, I know. I was reading Acts fourteen recently, and Paul, you know, is being is being treated as a Greek god by the people after performing a miracle. But he's saying, "Man, I am a man just like you." And as you were as you were talking, I was just thinking uh, that's true about him in the miraculous, but it's also true about him in the need and the access for ongoing personal renewal. that he He's not special. He didn't have a, a secret shortcut to God. He was just like us. And yet he, he really experienced ongoing renewal as, as an option. It was something that he was, he, that was daily. And you're saying it's available for us as well. Oh, exactly. Let's pre- Let yeah, me just say some- one other thing about that, if I might, because as I talk to people, I mean, renewal is kind of a, it seems to be a trendy word. It's it's an attractive word. Everybody wants it. I mean, it sounds good. Uh, but really, the renewal we're talking about is not a trendy topic, but really a divine invitation to begin each day overwhelmed by the presence of God and the steadfast love of the Father. And it's a biblical word. It's all through the scriptures. That's why one reason I love that Second Corinthians 4.16 is kind of our vision verse for our cohorts, because it actually uses the word renewal. And, and the biblical usage is simply, it's an that biblical renewal that Paul was talking about, just even studying the the actual language in the text, is that renewal is really is an impartation of strength and spiritual vigor or spiritual vitality. And so that's 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 what we're talking about is this impartation of a spiritual life, vitality, and vigor. And it's kind of funny that in our study in our cohorts, that one of the themes in almost every one of these cohorts is that our slang definition for renewal is just immense relief over and over again. And that's a phrase that uh, Luther experienced when when he was born again and experienced his own personal renewal, that he just felt immense relief from the heavy weight of condemnation day after day. So what we're offering and what I believe Jesus offers us through many gospel promises is this immense relief morning by morning. So. Man, that sounds like good news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, daily good news. So, yeah, that's really good. Well, let's talk about some of the preconditions. You mentioned them maybe even as barriers to ongoing renewal. What What are those? Yeah, exactly. What Loveless points out in his work on the dynamics of the uh, personal spirituality, um, dynamics of the spiritual life, I think is the proper title. Um, he says that we start with a mostly unawakened spirituality and that in order to become awakened, there's two preconditions. And the first is we need to be awakened to God, who God is, in particular, his holy love and his holy justice. And the second precondition is self. So we need to see ourselves as we truly are, human, needy, utterly dependent. We're sinful, but the picture for renewal is a whole lot broader than just our sinfulness. We we were built needy and dependent upon God, even in Genesis 2 before the fall. So this goes way beyond our neediness um, and even our sinful state. So those are the two big preconditions. I think even Calvin's Institute says that the two main loci of knowledge or locations of knowledge we need is a, a knowledge of God and a knowledge of ourself. And once we're awakened to those, uh, then we kind of see what the problem is and and we're awakened to the solution. And uh, 
Of course, as he always does, Tim Keller does a great job of, of stating this in, in ways I can understand it. He says, the problem uh, with the human heart is, is that our default mode every morning is works righteousness. So we, that means we wake up wanting to achieve something, accomplish something, rather than receive something uh, from God. And so that's, that's what we talk through under the preconditions and, and really how to become awakened through prayer and scripture and in community to become awakened to these realities. Yeah, that's good, man. I was talking to a, a dad the other day in, D, in like a DNA group, and we were talking about you know paying for kids' college and having some anxiety about how are we going to have enough money to pay for college, and and we were we were observing that God could provide for our kids through any number of ways, and yet there's something about us at times that wants the thing to pass through our hands. You know, we want to be the ones who have contributed or being the one who who could that had the resource somewhere to be able to do that for our kids and and just the humility of saying, hey, God might provide for my kids, but he may not do it through me is a kind of humbling acknowledgement of like, and I don't have to self-justify. I don't have to prove something. God can get work done. In fact, he does get all the most important work done through the through Christ, not through me. <laughs> and so, but somehow we want to earn it. We want to prove it. I think there's something in us that wants to justify our existence. And uh, that's so deep. Within, within all of us, and it manifests in so many different ways. Uh, let's talk about the currency. You mentioned, and when you're saying currency, what I'm hearing is a kind of uh, environment that's needed or a kind of posture of heart that, that ends up being essential. Is that kind of what you're referring to when you refer to currency? Yeah, the currency, man. How do, how do I, you know, what's the, the means, the transaction uh, that needs to happen, spiritually speaking, with the Lord? And, and the currency, as I've already mentioned, is neediness, uh, renewal doesn't come to respectable people. Respectable people aren't desperately needy for Jesus. And so, man, if you read the Gospels through this lens of saying, who is it in the Gospels that really experiences deep renewal, or I even like to call it gospel astonishment? And it's always the needy and the broken. It's blind Bartimaeus. It's the leper. It's the poor. It's the beggar. You know, it's the prostitute. It's people who are deeply aware. They have those preconditions. They have been awakened to who Jesus is, and they've been awakened to their need, and therefore, they're just hungry, and, and they need. And it's like Matthew 5, 3 says, that the first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, and how very happy are the poor, the impoverished. So those are desperately needy people. That word uh, that Jesus uses the poorest of the poor. It's the it's the cowering, cringing, begging poor. Just picture a person sitting under a tree, just with their sitting down, eyes closed, head bows, and hands outstretched. That's the posture that resembles neediness. And when we show up needy with God, He knows what to do with that space. Yeah. Chuck, that's so huge. I mean, I know you and I have both learned a ton from Jeff Schulte and Ten Man Ministries and just his his uh, work around the eight emotions and what does it look like to see your life, to have some feelings about it, to be able to tell the truth about it, which really is very needy. And then that opens a door for relationship and connection with God. And, you know, I routinely will be sharing that with other guys and DNA and other mentoring relationships. And, you know, a lot of a lot of us really, really bristle at, at being emotional, we, we bristle at exposing our need. It seems foreign. I think we've got sometimes decades of a well-worn pattern of not doing that very thing. But you know what? I, I've, I've become convinced over the past couple of years that neediness in a human is kind of like the law of gravity, you know, and um, physics. It's like you can deny it, but it really doesn't change anything about the way the world actually works. Uh, we really are needy. And it's like, do we want to be in denial about, a, I'll call it a scientific law about our anthropology, about how we were made, um, you know, or do we want to actually just agree with God about what he said it was like? You know, Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from me. Do we want to agree with him about that? Or do we want to argue that point, you know, in self-reliance? And, and so it's, 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 it's been interesting just, to, you know, how much I have resistance to that, how much so many men that I, I end up being in a relationship with just feel like what you're saying, this precondition is almost a non-starter. Like, how do I, how do I get there? I've been spending my whole life trying to not be in need, you know, and always presenting 
Like I have the resume, I have the skills, I have the work ethic. I can do this. I can do life. Let, let me show you. Um, yeah. How, how do we help folks come to grips with this, this currency? If you're saying, man, this is the only road into ongoing spiritual renewal. Well, you know, you're preaching to the choir. I've been getting this help from my mentor, Schulte, for over five years now, just uh, to find my heart, to find my neediness. So uh, you and I talk about that a lot. So um, absolutely. Well, maybe we could just, well, I mean, I could talk about this for a long time, but you're absolutely right. Maybe the shorthand way of saying is that the first question that we know of Jesus asking, you know, in scripture is to Adam after he'd sinned, he knew what he was feeling, but he says, where are you? And and God knew exactly where he was geographically. He wanted Adam, again, to wake up to an awareness of whatever guilt, shame, loneliness, fear that he was experiencing. And then I think God was just wanting him to come clean and, and walk in the light, as First John 1 says, and just tell the truth. You know, tell on yourself, Adam. And that'll be, the again, the currency that'll get you back into the presence of God and in relationship and, and an experiential love. So that neediness uh, is, is a huge piece. And But we hate feeling needy. We I call it the freak-out mode. It's like, man, we want to be in control. We hate feeling out of control. And and yet that's, that's where we need to really rely upon God. And uh, without walking through all these primary eight uh, emotions, I think when you read Jesus in the Gospels, uh, I mean, he's constantly trying to provoke us to become aware of our neediness, not only through our emotions, that's one way, and he exemplifies that in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can just study that, just sense all the emotional things that Jesus experienced as the perfect God-man. But even outside the emotional world, I mean, Jesus is constantly provoking his disciples to beware of their neediness. It's like the feeding of the 5,000. It's like, you give them something to eat. I mean, it's like helping them. They were pretty needy at that point because they had absolutely no ability to feed that crowd. But what was Jesus doing? Well, he was trying to train the 12. He was trying to make disciples and disciples need to learn. We got to come bring all we have, which was just the few saltines and few sardines and bring them into the presence of God. And inside we take our neediness and take our limits into the presence of God. Again, the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit know exactly what to do with that neediness and, and fills our needy spaces with his generosity and provision. And you know, his grace is sufficient for all we need. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true. Yeah, there's so many places we can keep going uh, with with where neediness manifests and where Jesus is leading people to recognize it, maybe even to say it out loud and acknowledge it. You know, he asked various people, um, I'm forgetting some of the references, but just what do you want me to do for you? You know, uh, when someone's coming with, maybe with a desire to be healed or otherwise. And uh, yeah, but it's a, an acknowledgement. I do need something from you, Jesus, and here's what it is. And uh, that's that seems to be the precondition for relationship. Let's talk about the fuel. Um, what drives this kind of renewal? Once, let's say I come to a place where maybe life has beat me up enough, I've failed enough, I've, I've done enough fruitless ministry long enough that I'm ready to admit I'm needy and maybe I'm, let's say I'm even experiencing my need. Uh, what becomes the fuel then for renewal? Yeah, maybe the simplest way to experience it uh, even if you're listening now, it's just to open your palms. Because what we've been talking about is we're needy. And so we we like that beggar, we open our palms. And so the currency is neediness. That means we're ready to receive, not achieve. And then it's okay, Father God, what are you gonna what are you gonna fill me with? What are, what are you gonna, you know, send my way? What am I gonna experience? And as I've studied the scripture over the last years, uh, I think that the foundation of all spirituality is that God wants to pour out on you first and foremost his love. It's the loving kindness of God. It's that hesed, unconditional love of God, not dependent on our actions or activities or deserving deservingness of it, but of his complete love for us, like Deuteronomy 7 says, that he loves us because he loves us. And uh, over and over again, I've just seen in the Psalms, that's the theme of the morning. It's like there's many, many attributes of God and there's many different experiences of God, but just psalm after psalm after psalm seems to tie this morning theme to receiving the loved, loving kindness of the Lord. Just 
let me mention a couple of them. Psalm 92, 2 says, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And in Psalm 143, 8, it's a prayer. It says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. And there's bunches of these. Let me quote one more. It's a Psalm of Moses, actually, that I love. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. So the currency is neediness opening our hands, but the fuel or the provision of the generosity of the Father is an overwhelming outpouring of his love. And even like back to Augustine, he says that the foundation of every church ought to be the, the Romans 5.5 5 supernatural outpouring of the agape experiential love of the Father for his people. We're built on God's presence, and his presence extends to us just an overwhelming experience of his love. So, yeah, that's the fuel. That's what fuels our day. And then the then then really the it's not a secret. I always want to use that phrase, but the task at that point is okay, you get up every morning and we know what warms our heart. It's the love of the Father. It's that unconditional love. It's that justifying love that we're right with God despite our sin. And that fuels our heart, that renewals our heart. And so in essence, we're warming our heart at the fire of the Father's love. And then all of our spiritual practices and all of our spiritual endeavors throughout the day is simply meant to be like keeping that fire stoked, to poke around on the logs, to add another log, you know, to, to come back and just to keep that experience uh, going throughout the day. So I got a, interestingly, my own spiritual director a couple months ago taught me a new term that I'd never heard before in my entire life, though my old sweet wife, Lindy, had. She could have taught it to me. And uh, he was suggesting when I was explaining that metaphor, he said, oh, what you're talking about is a nosegay. Duke, you're, you're pretty well read. You know what a nosegay is? So apparently in France back in the day of like the French Revolution centuries ago, that uh, just the city environment, uh, just the smells of the sewers and the garbage was so putrid that the women would uh, get a fresh bouquet of flowers in the morning and all day walking through the streets, going out to the market, doing their work, they would they would uh, hold that bouquet of flowers they would hold in their hand and just put it in front of their face, right in front of their nose all day long so that they would smell the roses or smell the little flowers that God had provided instead of the stench of the sewage. And what a beautiful picture. And so I try every morning now, one of my new practices is I, I just spend time with the Lord in the morning and then I'm just trying to ask, so how are you trying to come to me today? And I try to be specific, not just God in general, but what particular aspect of God is he really wanting me to keep in focus? So I'll actually then write that at the top of my written daily calendar. Even today I got to my office and I wrote it on a little sticky note. And so like today, mine is the living God. So that's how I encountered really through uh, my pastor's sermon on Daniel yesterday, just as the living God who's, you know, uh, in the fiery furnace. Uh, of the lion's den, and it's what he preached yesterday, my good buddy Jerry Pickney, and and then this morning that came uh, to mind in my just in my personal devotional time with the Lord. And so today, that's my nosegay. That's my focal point that I just get to be with God and keep remembering He's the living God. He's He's alive and active, and I just get the privilege of participating with Him moment by moment, even when I'm at my law desk, you know, practicing law or doing ministry or in a cohort. It doesn't matter. I get to be with be with God. So that's one way I apply these truths for myself. Yeah. And I've never, charge. never told you, I've never taught you anything before. So that's kind of a, a fun thing that thanks to my uh, spiritual director, he taught me something that you hadn't heard of before. So no, that's, that's, re that's rewarding. <laughs> you taught me a lot, a whole lot on a lot of subjects, but that's, I like it. That's really, really helpful. I know that the Puritans used to say, you know, pray until you pray. So this idea of engage the activity until you really enter into the activity as you were talking, I was thinking, man, what is it? Maybe that some of the, the fuel is to meditate on God's love until you experience God's love. You know, it's it, it, there is some kind of movement from the knowledge of God to the experiential knowledge of God, you know, or the cognition of, of, the, of the fact that the scripture says this, you know, the Psalms that you just read. But then it's like, okay, how do I move from Psalm 92 to steadfastness of God's love in the morning to my morning is beginning as a kind of soaking time in the 
steadfast love of God, you know? And so have you found anything uh, in terms of meditation or otherwise that help people move from the head to the heart or from the knowledge to the experience of, of God's love? I have, uh, by God's grace. And as you're talking, I was reminded as, again, I, I was born again at the age of 29. And, and so as I began to read, one of the things that marked me early in my Christian life was the biography of George Mueller, you know, who's the pastor and led orphanages and deep faith in God over in England. And his goal for his morning quiet time or devotional time was he says, I'm just going to sit down with the, with the Lord in Scripture and prayer until my, until my heart is happy in God. So it wasn't about, okay, it's going to be five minutes or five hours. He says some mornings that was easy and some mornings that was very, very difficult. But still, it's exactly what you were saying. The goal isn't the quantity of time spent, even though I'm a vast believer and God's called me to devour Scripture more than ever, but, but it's to slow down and pay attention to the experiential side. That's what God wants, not just for you to know the doctrine of His love, to, but to have a relationship. I mean, that's what Christianity is about. It's, it's about a personal relationship with God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We know that, but are we experiencing that? So to get our heart happy in God. But that's one reason, uh, more technically, that uh, Loveless really helped me. In his classic work, really the meat and heart of the book is what he calls those four ongoing uh, elements of ongoing personal renewal. And that comes from his study of all the revivals and renewals in Scripture and all the revivals and renewals he could get his hands on just that happened, you know, uh, after the Scripture in church history. And so he summarized those four personal um or those four elements of ongoing renewal, which are really just four aspects of the gospel. He calls them four dimensions of our uh, redemption. So you mean to walk through those four? You mean to yeah, tease that absolutely. out until people go read the book? Anyway, no, no, I've got it on. A, so in our cohorts, yeah, that's, that's the one thing, I, you know, uh, I put on a refrigerator magnet. So the four elements, very simply, the doctrines, and I'll explain them briefly, uh, are justification, sanctification, indwelling spirit, and spiritual authority. And so in the cohorts, what we try to do is not just believe in a doctrine, but hear the voice of the Father really speaking that doctrine over us. So for example, and I still almost every morning for the last three years, this is what I do. I try to be still and just learn the voice of the Father. More than just preaching the gospel to myself, Duke, I'm trying to give God enough time so he can teach me a still small voice. So it's not Chuck preaching to Chuck, but it's God preaching to Chuck. And what I try to hear him say and what I believe he wants me to hear every morning is, Chuck, I see you. You're my beloved son. You are accepted. And I just sit with that until I can experience that and, and believe that experientially. And that acceptance is the fruit of justification. That's the first element. And the second one is sanctification, which is in essence saying you're free. You're free from the bondage of sin. So you're just hearing God, just affirm, just softly in the quiet, not audibly, but you're accepted, you're free. And the third one is you're not alone. You're not going to be alone today because I'm with you. And that's the indwelling spirit. That's the third element. And then the fourth one is spiritual authority. And that's like, you do have authority. I mean, the authority of Jesus Christ to really resist and expel the powers of darkness, which are going to want to come against you personally in your experience of God and, and to fight off the deception, fight off sin, to fight off you know accusations uh, with that. And so, yeah, Loveless's whole work is really centered around these four primary elements of renewal. Then he has a second set of uh, secondary elements of renewal that are more corporate in nature, which we can talk about another time. That I'm gonna. Yeah. That's a different. I'll, that's a different cohort we're putting together. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, I'm just imagining if every Christian, you know, had the experiential uh, reality in the morning of their acceptance in Christ, their freedom sanctification, the, the, the living presence of the Holy Spirit and then spiritual authority, power to resist sin, power to bear witness, power to use their gifts for edification. All those things were a confident assurance to start the day, how much, you know, fruit that would bear, right? Compared to uh, maybe, like you said, even preaching to yourself, but really struggling to experience that as true or to know it deeply. Uh, so, that, yeah, those are just so, so foundational I love that. Well, we've talked yeah, a little another, bit about it, practices. Go ahead. Let me say one. Let me say one other thing, because I can't go this whole time and telling you the main quote that's fueled all of my personal renewal, and that's going back to Loveless. Uh, but what you just said absolutely be a game changer, 
And again, if Christian leaders especially aren't experiencing the love of the Father, I mean, what is the foundation of their discipleship or their church leadership or their their people's experience? I mean, it, this is no small topic. This is not an this an this is an essential of leadership to be able to to lead yourself before you can lead others. I think. But loveless, and I won't. It's a long quote. I'm just going to read you two or three sentences of it. I promise you, it's worth it. Page 101 of Dynamics of Spiritual Life, um, and it's sad, but but hopeful. He states only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Many have so light an apprehension of God's holiness and of the extent and guilt of their sin that consciously they see little need for justification, although, although below the surface of their lives, they are deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. They're deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. And that's the way a lot of leaders I work with are. And that's the way I am too much of the time. And one more sentence to follow up on that. He says, few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand on Luther's platform, you are accepted, looking outward in faith and claiming the holy alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance, relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. Mm. Anyway. As you said it, I had an interesting image come to mind, but it was something like the first grandchild to a pair of grandparents. uh, And we all know how this goes. They get showered with love and attention and all kinds of acceptance and all kinds of, attentiveness and blessing and that you know that let's say three to four year old first grandkid with their grandparent is absolutely convinced that they're accepted that they're free that they're not alone that not, maybe not so much a spiritual authority i won't bridge won't stretch it too far but just that idea that you can see on a kid's face the kind of freedom of being loved with no insecurity you know what i mean and no real even sense of threat that anything could really go wrong in the relational environment that they're currently enjoying. You know, like it's just everything works and they're loved and they're secure. And I, you know, I was reading Romans eight yesterday and, and Paul is really, it seems like he's experiencing what you're describing the love of God, because he's, he's even talking about groanings and creation growing in his own soul for the redemption of his body. And then the Holy spirit's praying and groanings and, Everybody's acknowledging the world is not working right in, in, under the fall. And yet he's saying that he's seeing even suffering and all the brokenness uh, through the confident lens of his acceptance, his freedom, his, his, the presence of the spirit, uh, the, the final inevitable, inevitability of being revealed. All creation is waiting for this revealing of the sons of God. He's, but he's, it's, he's already there emotionally. You know what I mean? You can just sense his confidence that all those things are already his lived experience in the gospel, you know, and, and it, you can just imagine the security that he's experiencing. And, and then of course he talks about the love that like nothing can actually, you know, separate us from that love, you know, that has said loyal love, that connection. It's, it's both true and better than we, we currently know. And nobody can take it away. Nobody can override it or undermine it. However we'd want to say that. And uh, man, I just, I, I do th- long for that for the church that increasingly more and more people would be able to testify to the love of God in the ways that Paul is experiencing it. He's praying for that for Christians, right? Ephesians three, he's praying for the the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God, which is they know that we would know more of it, even though it's unknowable too deep to fully know, but we go deeper into it. Um, Yeah. This just seems like the work. You know, and it's you're, so, so you're cool. absolutely right. And it's interesting in that Ephesians three prayers is he has to call upon. He uses all those power words and dynamite words. It, I mean, it really does because it's such a spiritual battle that he has to call upon the the, the strongest powers that God possesses to do what to do to do the work that will actually believe and experience that He loves us. Which is, oh my gosh, you know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what we're talking about, but it's not to know it in our head, but to just, that it's an experience, and and that only happens in the presence of God. Yeah, 
That's so good. Well, let's talk about some of the practices. I know you said you you even do unique plans for people. You really try to discern where they are in their journey and maybe what would be most helpful. But yeah, what, what are what are some of the practices? What are some of the ways you discern which ones would be appropriate for a disciple in a season? Well, first, um, I try to help people understand how spiritual disciplines, or I prefer to call them the means of grace, are in no way legalistic, but really invitations to this deep life of enjoyment of God that we've been talking about in His presence. And just real quick, even the just the the nature of the verbs in some of these key spirituality passages. Just stick with me for 45 seconds. I think this is worth it because it usually helps leaders. Like in 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says we're being renewed. That's not active, but passive. It's not something we do, but it's something we receive. So there's a command there. We're, we're, supposed, to, we're supposed to receive, but the, the, the passivity of the verb is, you know, instead of you hitting the ball, you're hit by the ball. So it's a posture of receiving. The same thing's true in 2 Timothy 2.1 where he says, be strengthened. My beloved son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So again, be strengthened. That's that's passive. That's something we receive. We are commanded to intentionally go into God's presence, not to achieve something or attain something, but to receive something. And one last example making the same point is when in the scriptures, Paul tells the Ephesians to be being filled by the Holy Spirit. Again, that's something you not achieve, but receive. And so it's getting through our head that all of the spiritual disciplines are really, and here's my simplified definition I work with these guys on. Um, It's really making space to receive God's love and grace. Reading scripture, you're not achieving something, you're making space to receive something. Prayer is not as much about achieving something, but receiving something. And one of the pictures that helps us believe this that Loveless talks about and is really his introduction he talks about ladders and, and how too often we think that spirituality is really a ladder, you know, to be climbed or something to be achieved. But the picture Loveless paints is that in the gospel that you are accepted, you are free, you're not alone, means that you actually, in Jesus' eyes, start every single day before you even wake up on top of the ladder. You're not climbing a ladder. Jesus already climbed the ladder. You're in Christ. So you get to start every day already positionally perfect, right with God. You have peace with God, Romans 5, 1 and 2 say. So you have the shalom of God. You don't walk on eggshells with God. You have the peace of God, but it's becoming, again, it's the experience of awareness that you're on top of the ladder with nothing to achieve. Jesus has achieved it for us. So the spiritual disciplines happen not to climb up that ladder to get to God, but you're already with God and you need to be awakened to that reality that he's with you and speaking, whispering, shouting, singing over you, uh, even these sweet uh, messages of his love and grace for you and reminding you of your position in Christ. So positionally, that's so important because you can do a, you know, you can do a rule of life for your personal discipleship plan. And if you, to any extent you think you're achieving something instead of receiving something, it's just not going to be a helpful experience. So and I, we don't have time to go into it today, but it's just a recognition that there's more spiritual practices, means of grace, spiritual disciplines than any of us can do, even if we try to do every one of them this year. I mean, it's just a smorgasbord. There's lots of ways to relate to God. So really, as a spiritual director and, and learning to do this is helping people understand what's giving them life in this season uh, and giving them permission to relax and simplify and slow down and really just uh, tap into uh, where they are with God in this season. And, you know, sometimes you might suggest something, but really helping them slow down and listen to God and pay attention to what's really life-giving for them in that, in that season. And, and yes, there's, there's, I mean, we're always going to be centered on the Word of God and prayer. We never get away from that. But there's still a bunch of different ways that, that people can experience God through prayer and through Scripture. Uh, you know, there's m- multiple ways to approach each of those you know, great means uh, of yeah, the Christian life. Great. So it's, it's just listening and help them listen to the Spirit and giving them permission, really, to 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 enjoy Jesus. Yeah, I love that. And for more on that, Saturate uh, listeners, if you haven't listened to the the podcast we did with Adele Calhoun, who did the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, uh, she she spends more time deep diving on lots of specifics. And then 
On it, I know Chuck and I both have benefited greatly from her handbook, which give you all kinds of things to do as assignments to you know try out new disciplines or to really zero in on one that seems to be particularly fruitful or that you're feeling a lot of invitation in. So that's there as well. Chuck, for those that have been in these cohorts, I'd love to just hear some of the fruit that you've seen in some of the leaders' lives. Let's say that maybe didn't have a vision for ongoing spiritual renewal or didn't have, you know, maybe the, the you know, one of these things working well, the currency, the, the fuel, um, you know, and, but now they have, what, what's some of the fruit you've seen in their lives as a result? Yeah, we've experienced a lot of grace and primarily as with a lot of uh, ministry that, that I still get the most out of it because it forces me to, to, to uh, keep being needy and, and practicing. But yeah, just uh, love working with leaders and developing a heart. And uh, here's a few comments I've just received lately that uh, is just such a, a great testimony of how deeply the Father wants to communicate His love to us. And one guy said a few weeks ago, just that He's gained a fresh awareness how to lead myself and others into daily experience of the Father's love. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like, that's it. I mean, what else? I would say touchdown. And so uh, another one said, I've learned that I'm not seeking to get into God's presence as much as a way to grow into an awareness of his presence that I'm already in. And again, absolutely. The foundation of spirituality is that God is present in you, around you and for you. And, uh, you know, and we just his presence is both the means and the ends of the Christian life. So it's just helping men really pay attention to God's uh, presence. And then one more. Um, it says, this cohort helped me build a deeper understanding of the Lord's tenderness toward me. He really does love me and wants me to simply enjoy his presence. Um, so many leaders will preach that it's the kindness and tenderness and gentleness of the Lord that leads to repentance, but they're not kind, gentle, or tender towards themselves. And so it's just over and over again reminding them that it is the kindness, it's the gentleness and tenderness of Jesus. He is, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but in, interpersonally, he says he's going to come to us like in Matthew 11, that he is gentle of heart. Yeah, that's so good. Chuck, just as a call to action, let's say someone like me is being stirred as you talk and as I listen and reflect on, on this uh, what, what's something people can do maybe personally or a few things perhaps that would help them just to continue to take further steps into, into growth and ongoing spiritual renewal? Yeah, you'd ask me at the very beginning how uh, trying to hold all this together and I'm trying to be real focused and, and only doing the things I'm really passionate about. And um, so two things that, that I'm doing and seeing fruit from. One is 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 just the new version of my renewal cohorts, I've started a business called Renewal Coaching and uh, several years ago, and uh, I've taken the, the year-long uh, Loveless content and, and really honed it down in, into this subset for personal renewal over a six-week period. And so I intend to keep leading cohorts. That's, you know, four, five, six leaders at a time uh, through those cohorts. Uh, and then something, you know, more new, is, as you kind of hinted at earlier on, both uh, Lindy, my wife, and I are both in training um, to be spiritual directors. And that's really a space to just monthly for an hour, uh, just sit, sit with a leader for an hour. And the sole purpose uh, of spiritual direction is, is just to pay attention to that leader's own personal relationship with God. And what we're finding is, is that um, not too many people can answer the question of like, well, who is it on the planet? that their main job is to help you, pastor, you leader, you dad, with your own relationship with God. And that's what spiritual directors do. And you and I both share a deep affection for Eugene Peterson. And he just says it pretty bluntly, a lot more rudely even I would say it, but basically, you know, every Christian leader needs their own spiritual director. And it's because of we're dealing with other people's souls. We just need a guide. We need a friend. We need a companion just to help ourselves with our own, um, just relationship with God. So I'm doing those two things, both the cohorts and the one-on-one uh, spiritual direction work. Uh, and I'm still in training, but it's starting to work with a few guys. It's been deeply rewarding. Yeah, that's awesome, Chuck. I'm, 
I'm just prayerful and hopeful that you'll continue to get more and more opportunity. I would encourage anyone in the Saturate audience to, to reach out to Chuck. You can reach him at chuckdrschwinn at gmail.com. If you're interested in a renewal cohort or if you're interested in a spiritual director, uh, like I said, he's just been a great resource to me as I've really tried to grow in this personally and then even times in leading others in DNA groups or retreats or otherwise towards really connecting with the Lord in, in, in deep and meaningful ways. And so, Chuck, thank you so much, brother. Um, yeah, I'm just, like I said, I'm encouraged by your your journey and I'm encouraged for the ways you're you know, inviting others into it as well to follow your example. Uh, just your relentless pursuit, honestly. I know how many times you've read Loveless. I know how often you read the scriptures and meditate on these themes and just so obvious that these things are being deeply formed in you and I'm just excited to watch the next several years and, and all the ways it's going to keep bearing fruit in the leaders that are under your influence. Um, I didn't say it on the front, but Chuck is when he's the, Chuck is the, uh, the spiritual director for the Soma board. And so he leads our board meetings and, and our board retreats <laughs> in these things. And we just, it's so much better than, you know, just talking and making decisions and debating things and to really ground everything in God's love and ground everything in his presence and to really be led of the spirit versus, um, you know, our best ideas, our own default positions or whatever. So, uh, really good work, Chuck. Thank you so much for, for serving us today on the podcast. Well, you're so welcome. You know, Duke, you and Caroline are very near and dear to Lindy Nice Hearts and the girls and um, don't see you enough face-to-face, so I'll take any chance I get, whether the mic's turned on or off, just to hang out with you because uh, you're a deep encouragement to me. So thank you for just how you love me so well as well. Awesome. Thanks, Chuck. Well, with that, we'll sign off today. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning into the Saturated Podcast. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Justin Hugis. Saturate is committed to gospel saturation in North America and beyond until every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders discussing how Jesus is better, his church is more, and his mission is every day. Learn more and activate your Saturate membership at saturatetheworld.com.